just open our hands. Yolin, would you please pray for the word this morning? Thank you. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor. Thank you, Father, for being the solid rock on which we stand. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to us, Lord, to give us salvation. Thank you for the church this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the worship, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the word that you're sending to us. We're asking you, Father, to walk through your servant as he is, not how, as he is Lord, um, the way that you're going to choose to send your word to us. We're asking your blessing on him. We're asking your blessing on us. We're asking your blessing on your church. So, Father, when we hear this word, this word can sink into our heart, and it can help us, Lord, to live day by day in salvation in the way with you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are concluding um, a series of messages on faith that works, practical wisdom from James. Sort of our, our key verse here for the book has been, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And I don't know what your experience has been like as we've been traveling through this incredible book, but my experience is, is that I have frequently found myself being um, significantly challenged by the book of James. And uh, perhaps you've had that experience as well. And it's been uh, wonderful and a, and a beautiful opportunity to uh, walk through this incredible book together. This is the first time in my 30 years of ministry that I've preached all the way through the book of James. Of course, I've referenced portions in James before, but this is the first time reading and studying and explicating it through in a sermon fashion together with the body. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity we've had to do that. Well, this morning, um, I've entitled the message, A Community of Faith That Works. For as we come to the final portion of the book of James, James 5, 13 to 20, and if you have your Bible or your smartphone app or whatever it is, or use the Bible located in front of you, if you would please do that. I'd love to have you actually have the text in front of you as we unpack it together here this morning from James 5, 13 to 20, portions of which of this passage will be quite familiar to some of you, and for some of you, um, perhaps this whole passage is brand new. And um, it's certainly fresh and new in my own spirit this morning as I come to share it with you today. James 5, starting in verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 
And Elijah was a man just like us, prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My friends, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I want to begin here with some context. And the context of the unfolding of this is for this community of faith that works is found in that First verse of the passage we're looking at this morning, James 5.13, where it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Here's what I'd like to submit for your consideration here this morning. In my experience walking with Christ now for the last 50 years, Um, and my experience as a pastor now for the last 30 years, I've discovered something that I believe holds true in every culture, in every generation, for all ages and for all people. And that is this simple understanding that Our lives, our Christian lives, our lives in God are lived in the interplay between spiritual desolation and consolation. And during times of desolation, we're invited to pray, and during times of consolation, we're we're invited to praise. I mean, that's really what he's getting at here, James, in his opening piece here, is any among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. All of us face affliction and adversity, things within and things without. And those troubles, those challenges, those difficulties that we face, and sometimes it's not, again, it may not even be circumstantial. It may be completely an internal reality, but, but many of us often spend time in seasons of spiritual desolation. James was talking about how this morning as he was leading worship that he always wants to remind us that we don't only worship God on the mountaintops but also in the valleys. And what he's getting at is the very reality of what we're talking about this morning. And that is, is that for you and I, for, for the, the, a, a believer in Christ, um, there will be times of, of spiritual desolation. There will be seasons of our lives when it feels as if God is absent or he's distant at the very at the very least he's distant at the very worst it feels like he's completely absent and one of the hidden things that the church for some reason that we don't like to talk about particularly perhaps in Pentecostal service uh, circles where where somehow um, those things are sort of kept on the down low because, well, we wouldn't really want to talk about that because that might, you know, that might somehow uh, show that I'm really, you know, that I, I should be really overcoming all the time and victorious and living this grand and glorious life in God in, in every time. And, and the reality is that that's not reality. 
The reality is, is that every believer, every mature believer, every maturing believer, will go through seasons and times of spiritual desolation. We'll go through times of trouble, times of difficulty, times of adversity, times of affliction. And the beauty of those times is that those times often and, and, and sometimes, um, you know, the, the church fathers back down to St. John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul. Those times when, when, when the kind of the external handholds which we're accustomed to holding onto are stripped away. We find ourselves being driven to, in the best sense of the word, or being led, drawn to a deeper dependence on God. Whether we feel him or not, whether it seems like he's distant or absent, the fact of the matter is, is his loving heart is drawing us in sometimes even beyond words way He's drawing us deeper towards himself as he's stripping away some of the things that we would normally like to hang on to and hold on to for security and stability and serenity and all the other things. I remember a particular time when I was going through significant adversity in, in my life and I was feeling just, and I went to my spiritual director and I was uh, pouring out my heart before him and actually I was just doing a, sort of an extended whine to him about some things that were happening and specific ways in which I was struggling and, and I said, well, if I don't have that to hold on to, what do, you know, and I was, I was just, it was like one of those moments where he, and he said in his wise, loving way, he said, well, do you think that the Lord might be inviting you to not lean on those things, but to lean on his spirit? more? And it was like, oh, he touched me. Whoa, he touched me. In the same way, we also have seasons of spiritual consolation. Times when the sun is out, a good spiritual high-pressure system is over our lives, and we're feeling expansive and open, and and, you know, all is right with the world, and God feels very near, and it seems like every prayer is answered in a moment, and it's, it's just this marvelous season and this marvelous time. And when those seasons come, it calls us to praise him more. And we just want to just, it's like, you just can't thank him enough. It's just, God, you're just so good, and look at this, and that, I got He's got a great parking spot. God, you're so cool. And man, it's wonderful. And this, that, and everything just feels like, ah. Here's the deal, people. Both are a part of the mature Christian experience. In a year of growing maturity, this is it. So, let me just hang a few more thoughts on this for you, just so that it hopefully gets closer to home for us. In times of spiritual desolation, we feel 
separated from God, in times of spiritual consolation, we feel close to God. I'm just going to give you some characteristics, thoughts for you to... In times of spiritual desolation, we feel a certain dissonance inside. In times of consolation, we feel this consonance, this congruence. In times of desolation, we may feel sadness. In times of consolation, we sense joy. In times of desolation, there's a certain shadowedness or a darkness. In times of consolation, there's light. In times of desolation, we may feel confusion. In times of consolation, we feel this great insight. In times of desolation, we feel trapped and trapped and stuck and immobile. In times of consolation, we feel great freedom. In times of desolation, we feel internal turmoil. In times of consolation, we feel quiet. In times of desolation, we might go through times of self-accusation and, and berating ourselves. And in times of consolation, we feel this sense of self-acceptance. In desolation, we might feel uptight and anxious and tense. In times of consolation, there's a relaxedness. In times of desolation, pain is repressed and anger often goes unexpressed because we're turning it in on ourselves. In times of consolation, we're able to express our anger in appropriate ways. In times of desolation, we become very self-absorbed. At times of consolation, we are expansive in our vision and our heart. In times of desolation, we might be emotionally closed down. In consolation, we're alive. In desolation, distraction in prayer and boredom and even avoidance of prayer. Even though we're called on to pray, it's like it's hard to pray because it feels like our prayers go to about here and they blocked and they're done. But in consolation, prayer comes easy and it feels like the heavens are open. Times of desolation, there's a restlessness. In times of consolation, there's a life-giving peace. In times of spiritual desolation, we can feel harassed. In times of consolation, there's this sort of abiding peace. Desolation, we feel a dryness and a flatness and a sort of a dullness. In times of consolation, we feel a fullness. In times of desolation, we can feel lonely and alone. And in times of consolation, we feel loved. In times of desolation, we can feel hopeless. In times of consolation, we feel hope. In times of desolation, we can sense a lack of trust in God. In times of consolation, there's a a deep faith and trust in him. In times of desolation, we can feel abandoned by God. But in times of consolation, we can have a vivid sense that God is near. I just felt very compelled to talk about this this morning. Even as we enter into this season, you know, the holiday season. Be filled with warmth and light and joy and not always. November for me is one of the times of deep, often a time of deep spiritual desolation for me. It's a time when I really struggle because I, I love the light and there just isn't much light usually in November and and just on a just a human from a human perspective, sometimes I have to press through. Breakthrough. Even this morning, that's why we're, it was great when James started with shout to the Lord because I was like, I just need to shout to kind of break off some heavy yoke. Some of you go through that too. It's normal. You aren't, you aren't, you're not like less spiritual. You're not 
weird, you're not odd, you're not off, you know, it's, you're normal. All right? This is normal. This is part of our life. Lived in the, we talked about last week, living in the waiting, in the between, between the already and the not yet, between the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. We live in that place. This is normal Christian life, to live in the interplay between these two things. And if somebody tells you differently, they're not telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth today about you and my life. This is part of the reason why as elders we feel compelled right now to hold these healing gatherings, not so that we can gather everybody together so we can get everybody fixed. Because grief is not something you fix. Grief is something you journey through. So we're going to hold a, a time, a healing gathering this Saturday for grief and loss from 6 to 8 back in the fellowship hall so that we can be together present with one another in our very real seasons and times of grief and loss. Okay? So we, wanna, we want to clearly communicate here at Bethel a kind of spirituality that recognizes reality and human reality and our human reality and the life we lead and the life we live here in daily planet Earth, year 2014. Because it's biblical, it's scriptural, and it's real. So one of the scriptures that kind of speaks about this really clearly, a, a, a picture of this is in the psalm, Psalm 42 is a, fabulous, and I won't read the whole psalm, I'm just picking out this one piece. The psalmist says, well, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So there's the interplay, the desolate. You know, I remember how I used to be in consolation. Now I'm in desolation. God, bring me back to season of consolation once again, because I'm going to put my hope in you. And, and, and there's this battle going on in his soul between this consolation and desolation, and that's the reality. It's this ongoing working through this ongoing rhythm of our life in God between desolation and consolation. I used to be happy, and now I'm downcast, and I'm putting my hope in God that once again I'm going to praise him. A scripture that's been very important to me for the last few years is in Psalm 84, and particularly, I love the whole psalm, how lovely are you dwelling place, oh God Almighty, you know, the whole, the whole thing uh, there that unfolds, but particularly verses 5 to 7 give us some insight into the journey we walk on. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, or the dry desert place. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I'll never forget I, when I was meditating on this passage a few years ago, and the Lord, th this was a passage I was on retreat, and the Lord said, I want you to pay attention to the two in strength to strength. You know, we read scriptures, and we don't even, 
Who, who pays attention to the little two in between? But the Lord said, pay attention to that. Okay, Lord, I'm paying attention. What, what do you want me to pay attention to? What I felt he said in my spirit was, you spend the majority of your life in two. Between strength and strength. So it's more like strength two. You don't get around two. And once you go through two, you look back, because that's the Valley of Baca, is two. It's the place in between where you are and where you're going. And you look back and you go, oh, God, you made that Valley of Baca into a place of springs. Now I understand. You don't understand when you're in the Valley of Baca and it's dry and dusty and desolate, and feels dull, and feels like, you know, you're like, what's going on? Get me out of here, now! And we don't realize until we're on the other side, and God's brought us to a new place of strength, that, that too place was vital for our growing spiritual maturity and development, and actually has become to us a place of springs. And now it actually becomes a place of springs for others. Because once we've been comforted in that place, we become a comfort to others. Does this make sense to anybody? I'm talking truth to you today. Because we, we, if we're going to be a community of faith that works, we need to realize that, you know, probably right now, 75% of us are in two. <laughs> All right? So then what do we do with that? Do we just put on a happy face? Akuna No. Sometimes that is, seems to be the answer, that, the only answer the church provides is just, come on. I'm blessed. I'm great. Really? Come on, can we be real? So how does the community, here's, here's the question that I want us to answer this morning in our remaining time, and I'm going to get to it quickly here now. How, how does the community of faith work to help its family members go from strength to strength until we each appear before God? How do we actually help ourselves, help each other go from strength to strength? I'm glad you asked. So here's my thoughts, which I think are coming right out of the text. First is healing. James says, well, is any among you sick? And the word there, sick, 
Yes, it has a physical connotation, but it's more than that because the word is actually weak. Are you weak? Are you ailing? Sometimes we're ailing in body, sometimes we're ailing in soul, sometimes we're ailing in mind, sometimes we're ailing in spirit. We're complex human beings, so we may be ailing in all kinds of different dimensions. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, last week at the end of the message, we had a time of actually elders and other leaders to anoint with oil and pray for mature belief. And, 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 you know, I don't know that James was, when he's speaking here, I don't know that he was trying to give us a, a new right in the church, R-I-T-E, that kind of a right, a, a, a new, something that, you know, we would do, you know, I think what he was speaking of, I mean, I think it's important to anoint with oil and pray, absolutely, and as elders, and I do that, you know, I've done that countless, countless times. I think what he's getting at in the context here is he's talking about a community of faith that works. When people are ailing, when they are weak, when they are sick, when they're ill, is there a place that they can come to where they can experience the healing grace of Christ being extended to them both spiritually and practically in ways that will bring them back towards life? Even this issue of oil, because oil was used frequently in the you know, in, in that time as, as, as have, for having healing virtues to it, the oil itself. It's also symbolic, of course, the oil of the Holy Spirit. So it's all of these things, but I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both end. If that makes sense to you, it makes sense in my own head. Hopefully it's making sense to you. So I believe that the community of faith actually works healing when it brings those who are afflicted to Jesus to receive his touch. Go with me to Luke 5 for a minute. I love this passage. It actually came up um, at our, um, our All Nations prayer gathering on Friday night, um, which was a lovely time for us together to be. I, I, boy, the Lord definitely ministered to me Friday night. It says, one day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, well, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, well, we've seen remarkable things today. We sure have. But I love that picture because I think that's the picture of the body. I think we're not bringing the sick people to the elders so that the elders can make them well. We're bringing sick people. We are bringing together as the body of Christ. We are bringing 
and the elders are bringing, and we're all bringing one another to the feet of Jesus. We're all cutting open the roof because right now it feels like the person who is sick and ailing may be in a season of, of desolation, may be afflicted in an adversity, can't figure out how to get themselves to Jesus, and we take the mat and we bring one another to the feet of Jesus so that he can do the healing. Because he's the one who heals. So that's what we're doing. That's a community of faith that works. When somebody's down, we don't shoot and shoot them. <laughs> you know, somebody said the body of Christ is the only army in the world that kills its wounded. God help us. Let's not do that. We come alongside to bring healing, to bring the afflicted, the ailing, the weak, the ill to the feet of Jesus. receive his touch. Secondly, restoring, it goes on, and our passage in Luke already brought us towards this, which is easier to heal or to forgive sins. It says, well, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So we are reminded here that if he has sinned, actually the, the closing part of verse 15, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven, and therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. See, a, a, a church, a community of faith that works is a, is a community that helps people to experience restoration deep in their soul where there, where there is affliction of soul because of unforgiveness or bitterness, because of there's brokenness in relationships between a person and God and a person and other people. There's a, there's a place that comes where, where, where restoration and forgiveness can happen the community of faith is one that works wholeness as members confess their sins and failures and shortcomings to one another and both receive and release forgiveness. Not one of us is perfect, including your pastors. I'm sorry to, you know, out your pastors here today and the, and the, and the staff here at Bethel, but guess what? We're not perfect. So we need to go to one another. I go to Pastor Ben. I bring him my shortcomings, my failures, my struggles, my temptations. In a transparent community, that's okay. Right? In appropriate, safe ways to bring our needs to one another. Galatians chapter 6, which is referenced here. Galatians 6, 1 to 5. It says, friends, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. So Paul, which is it? Are we to carry one another's burdens, or are we to carry our own load? And his answer is yes. 
Because the fact is there will be times where we do not have the strength to carry our burden alone to the Lord and we need one another to do that. And so we come to one another in our weakness and our frailty and our need and we say, help. And those who are strong, yes, come alongside and also know your own. See, if we have no self-awareness of our own limitations and our own temptations and our own difficulties, we can find ourselves in trouble. So be careful. But we must be in this community of wholeness where we're, where we're working. Whole, this is a faith that works. It brings wholeness into people's lives because it says, you know what? You're forgiven. People will come to me and they will, you know, they don't, I'm not a mediator between people and God, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not here to be, a, you know, Christ is our mediator. But sometimes we do need Jesus with skin on, Right? And it's okay when somebody comes to us and says, you know what, I'm really struggling with this, or I've, I, you know, that happens countless times for me. And that's, man, I always feel deeply humbled and privileged when people feel the ability to come and share the depths of those needs with me. And I feel this great joy to pronounce forgiveness. Because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us whole. So as human beings, our first, you know, just like Adam and Eve, the first thing when we realize that we've sinned, the first thing is cover up and hide in shame. And the enemy just thrives in the shadow places of shame. And Jesus thrives in the place of light. So come out of the shame. Live with nothing to hide and nothing to fear, nothing to prove and nothing to lose. It's a great place to be at. That's where I, that's the trajectory that I believe God's trying to take me in my life. And I don't want to live with shame anymore. Because that's just not from God. Holy Spirit does not condemn. He convicts. He shows me the stuff that, boom, all right. But he's not condemning. Following? All right, one more. Reclaiming. Love this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. A community of faith that works reclaims those who are wandering, those who are wavering, those who are wondering, draws them back. A community of faith works reclamation by calling those in her midst out of darkness into light, out of deception into truth, out of death into life. Look at 1 John 5, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, they should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that we should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, John's dense there, but he's, you know, 
There is a time, you know, there is a, a sin that leads to death, and that is the rejecting Christ completely, okay? And just turning, that, that's an own willful movement towards. But for the vast majority, and we don't have to worry about that and try to figure that out. What we're trying to figure out and what we're saying is we must make every effort within our ability to continue to draw and reclaim people. God is the ultimate, I always say this, God is the ultimate recycler. He was green long before the green movement happened. He's been recycling since the beginning of time. Nothing gets wasted. And he is a reclaimer. He, you know, recycle, reuse, renew, that's God. Aren't you glad? He's reclaimed me. There have been times where I've been prone, you know, I love that song, that's why I love that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel, prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I know I'm prone to wander sometimes, but he just keeps drawing me back, reclaiming my life. He's done that so many times at particular moments in my life when I was pushed back and about to fall. He's come. He's brought healing. Aren't you glad? Got a couple people that are going to bring a brief testimony. See, at Bethel... A part of our life together is what happens here on Sunday mornings, but there's more to our life together. We have life together in all kinds of different smaller connections. We've got connect places where people connect in connect groups. We have life groups. We've got mosaic groups, missional communities, and we've got a couple of quick testimonies of, of the community doing its work of healing and Restoring and reclaiming. Good morning. Good morning. I've been coming to this church since uh, last year. Before I came here, I moved here from Maryland, and before I came here, I was kind of stranded. I was looking for a place where I could fellowship because I was um, kind of locked into myself for a long time, and I was looking for a place where I could open up, express my, my, my feelings, and find God. So I thank God because he led my step into this place, and yeah, I found him here, because when I came, I was welcomed, and to cut it short, we all, I guess, everybody has something at the end of the, of the week, something to say thanks about, something to share about God, about what God, God has done for them at the end of the week, I guess. We come here every Sunday. I don't think everybody will have the chance to stand and say, this is what God has done to me. But I'm part of the group Mosaic, and it has been a blessing to me. 
That is where you can express yourself. It's a little group. Everybody has a chance to share and to experience. I had the chance, something I didn't know I had inside me, to go to a park, and I found myself praying for someone. Somebody who had a burden in their heart. And they needed, I'm sure they needed somebody to talk to. And I happened to be here. I happened to be there. We were a group of this mosaic to the park to clean the park. And we happened to be there. So I had a chance to speak to that person and let the person open up and tell me the grief they had in their heart. And I found myself praying for them. So this group has been a real a blessing to me. And I'm encouraging anyone who is not part of any mosaic group to join. It's open. It's directed by the one I attend. It's the Midway Mosaic. And it's not only for uh, the people living in the Midway area. It's for everybody. So I'm encouraging anyone to join and experience the blessings that I've done, that I've experienced. Thank you. Hi, and I've been coming here since April, so I'm fairly new to a mosaic. And I just want to share a scripture that relates to pastor's teaching. It's uh, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this scripture um, was really impressed on my heart about, I'd say like 10 years ago, about I kept telling all my friends we need to get together more. This is not the time to isolate. The time is drawn near. Life is getting harder, more hectic. And even like what Pastor was talking about today, you know, you, you might look at someone and think they, all, they have it all together and their life is so good. You have no idea sometimes. That's you know, true. what they may be going to. I mean, they might put on a smiley face, but you might not know the hurt inside. And the mosaics are a good thing because, um, like Therese shared, everyone gets to share. And you can get to know people at a deeper, le- deeper level. And sometimes people are really struggling with things, and you can minister and pray for them. Sometimes you're the one struggling and needing prayer. And it's nice to know that people are there. And, and um, I just want to express, too, that everyone has something to give, whether you think you do or not. You know, it talks about, you know, the gifts that someone's the head, someone's the foot. And I got a picture in my mind when I was getting ready for church this morning, and, you know, I'm blessed. I have all ten of my toes. And I think, what if I lost a few of them to frostbite or something, like even just my little toe? It would throw off the balance in my body, and I would have to compensate somewhere else. So we're all needed. Whether you're the head or little toe, we need you. And we all need each other's gifts and talents and encouragement. And so I just encourage you all... You know, if, if you're not in a mosaic, it's, it's a nice break in the middle of the hectic week also to have something to look forward to, to come with your brothers and sisters in Christ and share and pray for one another. And there's just one more thing I won't get to. 
there's a song we used to sing um, in the 70s that I love. It's called Love One Another. And the words are, love one another as I have loved you. Care for each other as I have cared for you. Bear one another's burdens. Share each other's joys. Love one another and bring each other home. And that's what it's about. We're all on a journey to the kingdom of God to become more Christ-like. And let's come beside each other and bring each other home. So the encouragement I want to bring us today is simply that we would be this community of faith at work. That we would really truly be a healing and restoring and reclaiming community. I believe that we are. And I believe that the Lord simply wants to affirm and confirm that that is our calling as a house of prayer for all nations. And I want you to be asking yourself as I'm asking myself, how can I help my brothers and sisters on their journey of faith from strength to strength and those that are in two land right now? How can I be alongside? How can we, how can we truly care for one another? How can we love one another? I don't know if you even hear the words of the covenant that are new members. We've got nine more new members coming over the next, so we've got like four, week, four Sundays where we've got three new members each Sunday coming in to, but I want you to understand that the covenant that we're responding to when we're becoming members is not simply kind of words on a page or nice things that we're saying, but as I always challenge new folks that are coming in, it's like, well, if you are receiving something, if you are experiencing something here, then you now are the one who's going to embody and take that and release that into others. Because together, as the body, we, it's, a dynamic, it's a dynamic process. It's actually an organic life together that we're living. So this morning, maybe you are in a time of desolation. A time of affliction and adversity. But today is a day to come and just hear it fresh in your spirit that I may be walking through the Valley of Baca, but I'm going someplace and God has a purpose and I might not be able to see it right now, but he does actually care about me and love me. And so if we could stand to our feet and if you'd like to come forward this morning and receive prayer, I'm going to ask others in the body to come alongside. So if you see somebody standing up here, maybe you can be one of those. It'll be like those four friends of the paralytic, and you can be a part of breaking open that hole in the ceiling. So come right now if you need. From the Lord, come, and I'll give a benediction prayer in a few moments, but I want us to pray for one another first, if we can. So... Here we go. Everyone needs compassion. Ali, if you'd hold hands one more time, I'm going to ask Hannah to pray a benediction. Blessing. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for your presence here with us. God, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to shout out your name, that, Lord, we have access to your name, that, Lord, we can shout out your praises, oh God. And so, Lord, we choose to shout out your praises, God. We don't want the rocks to cry out because we want praise to flow forth from our lips. So, God, we worship you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for each other, that we can grow together, Lord. It's such a beautiful thing when you build us together, you knit us together, God. And we want to walk into that full destiny of togetherness, of reflecting the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
So, Father, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk together, to work out our faith together. And, Lord, we just ask, God, that as we leave this morning, your Holy Spirit would be with each and every one of us as we walk together, as we walk into our own homes, Lord. Knit us together for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.